0: Hello everyone, it is Stephanie Shetler here again podcasting with a cat on my lap. I got Leo here, hopefully he's helping to absorb some of the echoing so it sounds great for you guys. Anyway, today we're talking about something on the podcast that I am extremely passionate about because I struggled with it for so long. We are talking about imposter syndrome. And part of the reason why I am talking about imposter syndrome is because we're starting off a new year, 2021. And although I don't really believe in the significance of the transitions of time like that, for example, I use this planner where I put out my goals every three months. So I'm essentially. Refreshing, renewing every three months. But I do love the idea of like, it's a new year. We have, you can have so many dreams and goals. So I actually do play into that. So I wanted to talk about improving yourself. And you're going to be like, okay, well, what does that have to do with wildlife and conservation? I will get into that. But I started my Confusion to Clarity group again. And I've been interviewing people for this. And It just makes me so sad how rampant imposter syndrome is in our community, our science community, our conservation community. And today we're going to talk about that, what it is, how I overcame it, and tips that you can use that will help you, even if you're not in this career, you will definitely find this episode helpful because this spans careers. It is It particularly affects women worse, although it's found in both men and women. And even if you're not really affected by this in terms of your career, I think it affects our relationship with people and communicating conservation. So I'll explain that as well, which might seem like a little obscure at this this moment, but trust me, it will all come together. Before we begin, I have two announcements I want to make. First, I want to actually two advertisements I want to make for two different conferences. The first one is run by my friend and coach, Carla Doctor. And she is hosting EmpowerCon. And this is going to be an all-female event, a virtual conference meant to empower you. I am so excited. I haven't been to this, but I've worked with Carla. She's a member of a mastermind group I'm part of. And like I said, I hire her as a coach. And she is just amazing. It's going to be a one-day event full of amazing women speakers. And the theme is I Can and I Will. So this is a sort of great conference for you to go if you need to work on imposter syndrome. It is January 9th. I am definitely going. It is going to be so much fun. Carla is fantastic. We both just attended Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within virtual um, workshop slash conference. I don't know what you call it, but it it was an amazing experience. And that's another reason why I'm so excited to talk to you guys about imposter syndrome and just leveling up your life. And Carla went to that with me. So there's going to be lots of dancing, lots of fun stuff. So I am super excited about that. So if you just head over to my social media, at Fancy Scientist, I am going to be tweeting about it, talking about it, and you can just find a link to join there. The next event is also by a friend of mine. She was, She's a new friend to me. We met through the Marine Science Conservation Happy Hour podcast, and we instantly bonded. Her name is Dr. Ashley Scarlett, and she is hosting the the mindful conservation conference this is a new conference it's happening january 4th through 9th ashley is a marine biologist and she just got her her teaching certification in yoga so this is going to be practicing mindfulness for people in the conservation world as well as talking about issues and i'm going to be kind of talking about some of the connections today but more relevant to this conference conservation is innately a sad issue we're trying to protect stuff that is very really <laughs> is very that is very much so being threatened with extinction it's a real thing that that could happen. I'm not talking good today, but I'm going to keep it to show you guys how real I am. But anyways, her conference just looks really helpful because these are painful issues to deal with and it's hard to deal with. And the more that we suffer from these issues, which, which I'm going to talk about today, the harder it is to get people on board with us for conservation. So we need to do some healing ourselves. It's just going to be such a great group of people. I am so excited about this conference. So I'm going as well. There's some overlap with the EmpowerCon conference, but you can go to both of them. I'm going to both. Okay, so those are my announcements. Oh, and with hers, it's at absolutely smashing slash mindfold dash conference. I'll also be tweeting about it and putting it on social media so you can get the links through that as well. I'll put I'll put the links for both in the show notes too. Okay, so let's get started today talking about imposter syndrome why it's important to me, to this field, to science, to conservation, to you, to your career, no matter what it is, and just that I'm looking forward to helping you guys. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. Today, I am talking about imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is really something that I suffered from a lot in graduate school. And honestly, I didn't suffer from it much until graduate school. That's when I really first started having it. And what imposter syndrome is, is it's basically this feeling that you don't belong and that the accomplishments that you've had in life were somehow by accident or by mistake. So if you are in graduate school or if you're starting a new job, you think that you'll be found out or that, like I said, you got... In there by a mistake so like the grad school made a mistake they let you in or or they didn't like really see you who you are you kind of like slipped by and and tricked them but deep down inside you believe that you're not good enough and this is really common across different careers and especially people who are really ambitious and this was first discovered or described in I believe it was all women yes I think the study was all women and it was really accomplished women. So these were women who had their doctorates. They were in the medical field or they had really prestigious job titles and they would say things like that like they don't felt like they, they didn't feel like they deserved the job that they were going to be found out one day and removed from the position. So if you're feeling this way, I just want to say don't worry. Tons of us feel this way especially in graduate school in undergrad too like i said i didn't suffer from this much in undergrad but i didn't quite figure out exactly what i wanted to do until later in my undergrad and before that i wanted to do theater and i always thought i sucked at theater or actually i didn't think i sucked but i couldn't like perform well in front of people and i never got cast in any anything that good. So I didn't have imposter syndrome for theater because I had a lot of reflection from the outside world that I wasn't that good. But in biology, I was just kind of doing something different once I found out I wanted to do wildlife biology than everyone else. So I didn't really suffer from it. But once when I was in graduate school and surrounded by people who were extremely smart, who had done a lot of really cool things. who had really cool experiences. I remember sometimes I was in rooms where, you know, if I, if I said that, like, I went to Kenya in a regular room full of people with average Americans, people would think that is so strange that it is crazy to go there to study wildlife. But in some, like I said, some rooms that I was in, Going to Kenya was like, it sounded like going to Disney World, like it was so easy to do. And you would talk to people who would have these like really obscure experiences to really remote parts of the world. And you just kind of doubt yourself and your experiences. And I hate it when people do that, by the way. I call it one-upping. It drives me nuts. So that's what imposter syndrome is. If you have it, don't feel bad. It is really common and it's interesting because, as I have become a postdoc, so me and my friends in graduate school would would share information with between ourselves about this, but as I became a postdoc, it was really interesting to be beyond the graduate students in terms of education level, but they would still disclose in me the way that they felt, and the, I mean some of them were like superstars, and they would tell me they didn't think they were good at the things that they were actually really, really good at and kind of known for. So it was just crazy to me and I've had both men and women tell me this. The reason why that I'm so passionate about this is because like I, I said, that this happened to me. But interviewing my students, I am realizing that there are so many gifted, talented, bright students who uh, for no reason at all are feeling this way. And there's something in the system, there's something in graduate school or our universities or our professors that are making students feel this way. And I want to correct this because It is silly. Students shouldn't be feeling this way and it is stifling them. From talking to my students, some of them have told me that they are not seeking out experiences or they will find something and not go for it because they don't believe that they're deserving. They don't believe that they are good enough. And this is just like, it's just so sad to me that Before they are even being judged in anything, for example, a job application or a grant, they are judging themselves and saying, no, that I'm not good enough. And just think about through the years, all of the people that we are filtering out, that we are leaving behind because of this attitude. And like I said, it affects women more than men, so this is going to favor men. They're not going to suffer from it as much and likely keep going on. But women who really suffer from this, or or people in general, they're going to leave the field and go do something that they're more comfortable with. So this is really about increasing the diversity in our field and also just making our field a, a better place to work in. I felt like in graduate school that there was this, like, stigma that or this culture that it just had to be hard like you just had to be not quite like mean to your students like I don't really see my advisors as my or professors as like mean to me but it was kind of this whole like sink or swim attitude and there just wasn't a lot of positivity in general and that is something that I really wanna change because I've been listening to a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts over the years and CEOs who are really great leaders, they don't do that. They reward their employees in, in praise and giving them positive feedback. That doesn't mean that everything is all Pollyanna and that they're not giving any critiques. But they are recognizing when their employees grow, when they do better, when they have successes. They celebrate. We don't celebrate really that much in our field, maybe a little bit. But I always kind of felt like, especially the later I went on in my career, it was like, oh, okay, I got a publication out. Great. Okay, let's work on the next one. Take a moment and celebrate your people, all of the hard work that they've done and the incredible accomplishments that they've made. So this is affecting science. It's affecting conservation areas in that it is reducing the diversity in our field. It's favoring one type of person and we know it's favoring one gender. But in addition to it being worse from for us and worse on our psyche. And in turn, I think then we are meaner to each other. I think part of this, this sink or swim mentality is because this is what your advisor had to go through. And I think they're carrying that on. They're like, well, I had to go through it, so you should have to go through it too. And I don't think they're doing it intentionally or in a mean way, but it's sort of like a rite of passage or I've never been in a sorority, but I imagine like rush week is like, like you have to go through this thing because the person ahead of you did it. And then in turn, the person getting it does it to the next person. So it's continuing on this cycle. But even beyond the consequences within our community, I think that it's making scientists negative in general. And this, of course, impacts research. This, of course, impacts science communication. This impacts conservation, which even if you are not in this field, you should care about because we're always sort of, we have this like hardened attitude. And I think we lack compassion. I think we lack empathy. And I know a lot of people leave the field because of that. So conservation has long been seen as this like doom and gloom science and part of me wonders if that's because it's the the culture of research that, that we have been fostering all this time. One of my friends who has her doctorate said that she was constantly told that she was too happy. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Like in, I mean, there's probably other fields like this, but why would you stifle someone for being too happy? When you're happy, you attract people. People want to be around people that are happy. And if you are spreading important messages like conservation, wouldn't you rather receive those messages from a happy, optimistic person than from somebody who is negative and pessimistic? I mean, why even try to conserve the world if you're negative and pessimistic? The message you are sending across in your attitude and energy is that it's going to fail, that it's not going to work that it's not worth it. But if you're happy and optimistic, you excite people and you wanna bring them along on the journey and you inspire them. And this is why I am so passionate about this because in conservation, in in science too, I think that we have this attitude of like being pretentious and making things hard, making things very academic And we need to be more fun, more lighthearted. We need to be able to talk to regular people. And that is really what I hope to do on this podcast. So, if you are in a situation right now where people are making you feel this way, I have some tips for you in this podcast for you to overcome your imposter syndrome. And reclaim your right, reclaim your experience. So I have a whole blog post on this. It's uh, 13 tips that really work to overcome imposter syndrome. But today I'm going to share with you some of my favorite tips and expand upon them more than I did in the blog post. I also have YouTube video series on each one of these tips too. It's like a couple of minutes for each tip. But I've also learned so much since then. I have been doing... A lot of research on the subconscious mind, on human behavior. I love the podcast Hidden Brain. I just finished reading this book, Predictably Irrational, by Dan Aurely. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it A R I E L Y. And he is a psychologist. He has his doctorate, he does research. It is such a cool book. I I really liked it a lot, but I've been super into leveling up in my life by understanding habits and subconscious thought and actively changing that. So that actually leads me into probably one of the biggest tips for helping you with imposter syndrome, and that is to change your thoughts. I learned a couple of years ago that your thoughts lead to your emotions. Now this may sound stupid, but I kind of walked around thinking, I just feel these emotions and they're just going to happen and that I can't really control them. They just kind of like happen to me. But no, it's the other way around. Your thoughts control your emotions. So once you decide to train yourself to to choose the thoughts that make you feel good, that make you feel better about yourself, then you get into the habit of saying those thoughts to yourself and then you feel better about yourself. That's a whole idea with trying to do that. Now it's a, it sounds really easy, but it is not that easy to do and it takes some time because all of these thoughts that we have are mostly subconscious. They've been embedded into us for as really as long as you've been living you've been you've been absorbing information since then so however your family talked that's likely the thoughts that you're going to have and unless you actively notice them and challenge them you're not going to change your thoughts and the things that we tell ourselves a lot of time are opinions they're not fact so If you make a mistake, how often do you tell yourself, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I made that mistake. That is an opinion. I can make a mistake and you might say, oh, that's okay. You didn't mean to make a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. That's much more of an objective thought that we tell ourselves. So pay attention to how you're coloring your thoughts. What are you saying to yourself? And if you're telling yourself you're stupid, that's a lie. So why not tell yourself a thought? If it's a lie, a better lie. Why don't you tell yourself you're the smartest person in the room? Whether that's true or not, it'll make you feel better about yourself. And you have to work at this so that you eventually believe it. If you go for the opposite of that, if you go to that extreme, you're, you are you internally will probably reject it quite honestly. That's what happened to me first when I changed my thoughts. So it's much better to start off more gradual. So if you're constantly telling yourself you're stupid, switching to something like, I made a mistake, people make mistakes, that's okay that is something that you are much more likely to accept. But I make the analogy between our thoughts of, it's it's these neural networks that are essentially running them in your brain. And you're the things that you repeat to yourselves, your habits, they're they're automatic. So many of our habits we we just do without thinking. If you think about like driving a car, we're not consciously thinking about, you know, pushing the button, putting your foot on the brake, the gas. You just you're just doing it. And sometimes when you drive a car, time passes and you're like like you didn't even realize you were driving. You just arrive at the location and you're just like, oh, I'm here. That's, that's definitely happened to me many times. So, so many of these thoughts, so many of these behaviors, they're habits. So, we have to work on changing those habits and that takes active work because those neural networks that contain those thoughts, they're really well developed and the ones that are are forming the new thoughts that you want to have and make those habits they're going to be really weak so anytime you're having moments of weaknesses or you don't want to work on it you're going to go back to those old neural networks those old thoughts those old habits and it really like I said it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of work but when you do it it is so much better your life is so so much better I know because I've been there one of the tips that I give that feeds into this is to go to therapy because as I tell you this information, you might think, well, you know, maybe I am stupid or I'm not as smart as other people in graduate school and that's an objective fact. It's it's not an opinion. You might need somebody to help you. See the data, to see the information more objectively. And that's what a therapist will help you do. You might not realize how hard you are being on yourself. They might be able to point out the ways that other people are feeling or other or, or unfair ways that people are treating you. I went to therapy all throughout graduate school, mostly because honestly, it was free. We had free counselors and I just figured it would be great to have somebody to talk through because graduate school is a hard thing. And I did have some real life events that I, I hardcore needed a therapist for. My mom passed away. When no after I graduated, but she had terminal cancer for a very long time, for nine years. So I had some very real issues, but honestly, so much of my experience was dealing with that imposter syndrome, dealing with my graduate school experiences, of always feeling behind, not feeling good enough, feeling stupid, all those things. So if you can go to therapy, they will help you recognize your thoughts, and then you will be able to change your thoughts. Another thing that really helped me that was my therapist's suggestion is that graduate school is my experience, and it's your experience, and that you signed up to do that. And although there are certain obligations you have to fulfill in graduate school to get your degree, you don't really owe anyone anything, When I was in graduate school, because you're kind of like working, you're you're doing your research, you get a stipend for it, you get your tuition waived, so you're getting paid. And you might not be getting paid a lot, but you're getting paid. And your advisor is kind of like your boss. You kind of get this impression that you have to... Like do whatever they say and, and they're the boss and you're doing the job and that's not what it is. It's school. You're there to learn. So yes, they they do advise you and you might have to obviously listen to them for, for, for some of the suggestions or things pertaining to research, but you really need to claim your experience and... You also need to claim your experience in terms of not caring what other people think. And this is something that I have started doing within the past two years. Even this year I've struggled with it. With selling my courses, I constantly worry if people think that i am not genuine that i'm just trying to make money that i am spammy and that is nothing farther from the truth i create these products because i want to help people and this is something that i am truly passionate about and when i was sending out emails about my my courses i i initially so i initially had a lot of people sign up for this free webinar And overall, I got a lot more email subscribers, but when I was sending out emails about my courses, I probably lost about 20 subscribers, maybe more. And I started to look at myself and be like, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? And the thing is, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just worried about what people thought about me. People are gonna judge you no matter what. Think about the most famous people in the world, the people that you think are the most awesome people in the world. Oprah Winfrey, I love her. Now, you may not like her. There's lots of people who don't like her. She is being judged. Everyone is being judged. So people are going to judge you no matter what you do. So you might as well do the stuff that you want to do. And what I really wish that I had done in relation to my experience, especially with graduate school, is I really wish that I asked the questions I needed so that I could learn. In my classes, I was so afraid of people thinking that I was stupid and therefore didn't belong there. My imposter syndrome was acting up that if I didn't understand something, I didn't ask questions about it. And I specifically remember this one woman, I never took statistics in undergraduate, and In this class, the professor said, everyone here probably knows what linear regression is, right? And if you want me to go over it, I can right now. So let me know if you want me to go over it. And of course, I was scared to raise my hand. I didn't know what it was, but after... He just went on saying that everyone here knows what it is. I didn't want to be like, well, actually, I'm the one who doesn't know what it is. Like, look at me. I'm this oddball out here. I'm behind. But now I don't care. And when I was going to lab meetings this past year and years before, sometimes I would even ask questions I knew the answers to that I knew that would make me look stupid. So that the under, or quote unquote, stupid, I don't care anymore, but nothing just make you look stupid. But the undergrads, because I, w- I wasn't sure if the undergrads knew it, or maybe I did want some some deeper clarification or to make sure that we were all on the same page. And again, I just don't care anymore. And it's okay to not know everything, especially when you're in school. That's why you're there. And you need to learn. At the very least what I regret doing is maybe I was too scared to do it in front of everyone and expose my statistical weaknesses like heaven forbid they know that I didn't know what a linear regression was like oh my god that would be the worst thing in the world I'm I'm being sarcastic but what I wish I should have or what I what I should have done is I should have gone to the professor and said hey look when you went over this in class I I actually don't know what this is, and I was wondering if you could show me in a few minutes during office hours. That's why they have office hours. They're there to help you. So don't be scared to speak up. And so many times in seminars in graduate school, I didn't ask questions in seminars for like the first five and a half, six years. It took me six and a half years to graduate. And seminars, for those of you who don't know, they invite different, your department invites different speakers. Usually it's a once a week thing. And they give a professional talk for 15 minutes. The last 10 minutes are meant for questions. You should be asking questions. The audience should be asking questions. In fact, if nobody asks a question, it's kind of rude because it shows that like people weren't paying attention. So you always wanna ask a question. So sometimes I legit had questions but, other times, I was just scared to ask questions because i I didn't always know what to ask, and I was worried about if my questions would sound smart enough. And then sometimes I would have questions, and other people would ask them. And I'm like, "Oh, well, I can't believe they asked that question because I thought like they should have known the answer to that. So I was really relieved to hear that not 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 everyone knew the answers to these questions. So again, don't be afraid to look stupid. Who cares? Sometimes maybe they went over the question you asked. It's a 50-minute seminar. You don't have to get everything. It's okay. Don't worry about it. The next one I still struggle with. I'm working on it all the time. And part of that struggle is because it's something wired into us. We are always looking for what is wrong and that has an evolutionary advantage because before we became so modernized when we had to deal with more real deadly threats like like predators on the landscape or, or running out of food or bad weather, we always had to be like searching for what was wrong but nowadays i mean i understand people are suffering with covid and stuff like that so i'm not trying to say that real threats don't exist they they do but if you're thinking about what you're feared what you're afraid of in a regular day maybe you're scared of giving a public talk or like i was asking a question in public that's not a real threat we're not going to die of asking a question So by choosing to focus on what's wrong, you're making yourself feel worse. So now I try to focus on what's right. And this is where gratitude comes in because for so long I've heard about like Oprah having a gratitude journal and I would write down like three things I was grateful for. But the key that I was missing to really understand its effectiveness. It didn't work for me when I was doing that, and I kept on dropping it. But what you really need to do is focus on that gratitude. So feel that gratitude. And what I do now every morning is Tony Robbins' priming exercise, and that has several minutes of feeling gratitude. So you think of three different things, but you feel the gratitude for those things. And you relive those moments. You think of three different memories that you're really grateful for, you're really happy about. And when you think about those things, it puts a smile on your face. And when you're smiling, when you're thinking about things that you like, that make you feel good about yourself, that make you feel good about life, you are not feeling bad. You can't feel good And bad at the same time. You can't feel grateful and scared and worried at the same time. So that's really what gratitude is all about and looking for the positives. So what I tell people to do who suffer from imposter syndrome is look for the evidence that they belong, that that a mistake wasn't made. So for graduate school, look at your advisor. Your advisor believes in you. They are continuing to have you as a student. When students take their qualifying exams or comprehensive exams, A lot of them say they're not ready, but the professor wouldn't let them if they weren't ready. So look for that evidence. Another example is I was with somebody who was giving a talk. I think it was her first talk or or one of her first talks. And she was so worried about giving this talk at a conference. And I was trying to make her look more objectively at the situation and she just didn't feel good enough she felt like there would be other experts in the room and we were in another country so she felt that there would be people from that country in the room being like oh my god I can't believe this person's presenting on my country my and this is this is stuff that I know stuff about and they're going to be thinking bad things about me and I was like just just hold up like so first of all there's so many different ways to think about that if My experience working internationally is that people are excited to have you present research on their country. I feel like they have a sense of pride, they're excited that people are working in their country, that they're working on the species that live there. So for that one, I, there's, there's definitely another way to look at it. But I was like, well, why did you present at this conference if you're so scared? And she's like, well, my advisor said I should. And I was like, well, there's your evidence right there. And I knew her advisor. I knew he was a tough scientist. He was a good scientist. So if she was doing crappy work, there's no way in hell he would let her present let alone suggest that he she presents. So it was all his ideas. So I was like, if he believes in you, if he wants you to share this research, that means that you're doing an amazing job. So just stop doubting yourself because he believes in you. You need to believe in you. And he has a PhD. He has decades of experience in this field. So he is willing to showcase you by by having you go to this conference and present your research. So that's what you should go off of, that, that, your, that your research and you're doing such a great job because of that evidence. So look for that evidence in your life. The last tip I want to share with you is to visualize your future self. So this sounds crazy pants. I know it does, but it's not as crazy as it sounds. And lots of people do it who are not crazy. And those people are athletes. I actually remember when I was in high school, we had a new coach and he told us to do this. He told us before we go to sleep, I was on the swim team. And he told us to visualize ourselves swimming and winning the race that we were in before we went to sleep. So athletes do this all the time. And why does this work? And how does this work? Well, again, it has to deal with your subconscious. And your subconscious really is your ability or it helps you it's it the way that this works is that it helps you believe it to be true so you might be thinking like okay if I imagine things like I know that's not true but if you vividly imagine things you can trick yourself into believing it's true. Sorry about my doggy barking in the background. I record this podcast, as you know, with a cat in my lap and there's dogs in my house. So if they bark, I just go with it, whatever. But you can make yourself believe that things that are not true are true. So for example, dreaming. When you dream, it is so vividly believable. And frequently we wake up, we think that it really happened to us. And of course, it was a dream. Or if I were to describe, imagine you had a lemon. Imagine you're holding it in your hand. You brought it up to your mouth you smelled it, you tasted it, I bet you could feel that sensation of sourness and there's obviously no lemon in your hand. Or if I were to describe chocolate chip cookies bake in the oven or even I don't even have to describe it, I could just say it and you could imagine what it smells like and start to feel that goodness. So This is the idea that we use with visualizing our future self. It helps us believe that we are that already. So this belief makes it more plausible that it will happen. I'm not the best at explaining this. I'm still learning how to explain this. I talk about wildlife and conservation a lot, but this is newer stuff for me, and I'm having I I do struggle a little bit to explain this. But I I can tell you that it works. So, for example, if You're giving a talk, if you're giving a public talk and you think you're going to bomb, you are worried about it, you think you're going to do a bad job versus if you go into it believing you're going to do an amazing job, if you have the belief of the latter, you're probably going to sound more confident, you're probably going to sound better, you're probably more likely going to do a better job. And this is what I've been doing this whole past year is whether something is true or not, I act like it is true. And then it makes what I want to happen easier. So for example, with my body, I'm working a lot in my body in terms of improving my strength, my flexibility. I'm trying to do splits. I'm not there yet, but I believe I can already be there, that I am all there. Because if I believe that I can't do it or it's difficult or it doesn't happen to people like me... No matter what I try, it's not going to work because I'm looking for a reason for it to fail. So now I believe that it has already happened to me. It's just a matter of time and it will happen. So this is what athletes do all the time. They visualize their races, or performance. If you watch that documentary, Free Solo, oh my God, it's an amazing documentary. I am not a rock climber. In fact, I went rock climbing with my friend once at an indoor gym. I could only make it up like four things and I was terrified. I don't know if you watch The Big Bang Theory, but there's this episode where Sheldon goes rock climbing and he gets to the top. It, it, he's he's in the indoor facility and then he looks behind him and he faints and he falls on that that thing that that like carries you. And I couldn't even I couldn't even like detach from that. I had to climb down the wall very carefully cuz I was so scared. But anyways, in Free Solo, this guy decides to climb El Capitan in Yosemite, which is like straight up and down. It's crazy in my mind that anyone can go up that thing in general, let alone without any safety equipment. And that's the way he did. And he visualized himself going through it over and over and over and over and over again. And he believed that he could do it. So those two things are very, very important. That you believe deep down to your core that it is true. So I hope those aren't too weird for you. They work. Give them time. Work on it. Remember, I have more tips on the blog post. I have each one of the 13 tips made into its own YouTube video. Please share this with you think somebody who can, who this can help because like I said, this is a really important issue and so many people are suffering from it and they don't have to. There is absolutely no reason why they should suffer alone in silence with imposter syndrome if you need more help i plan on doing more episodes like this so make sure you subscribe to the podcast to the youtube channel i am even thinking about starting up a group membership next year i still haven't figured out exactly what i want things to look like but I was thinking about doing this more about helping people in wildlife biology and related careers, not necessarily so much with the technical side of things, but more with the confidence, the productivity, the resilience, the dealing with rejection, all of those things. So if you are interested in that, please let me know. You can just send me a message on social media. I would love to hear your feedback about that. I hope you have a great day. Remember to be kind to each other, especially in these crazy times, and to be kind to animals. Bye.